Welcome to Next Level Shit, where our host, Dave Warner, digs out the best of the best of our guests and discusses the things that put you on a quest to rise above the rest. He'll tease out their backgrounds, their motivations, their struggles, how they got to where they are today, and we'll have fun doing it. Don't forget to subscribe, give us a review, and tell your friends. Now, sit back, sip on a cold one, and enjoy the show. Next Level Shit. Hey, what's up, David? How you doing? Good. How are you? Man, I'm having a blast. Just uh, loving life. How's, uh, how's West Virginia been during all this uh, crazy uh, Corbin and masks and all that stuff? How, how locked down are you guys? Well, I'm actually in Knoxville, um, so I just go up to West Virginia to visit family for the most time, most, oh. most, most part. But uh, Knoxville, you know, it's not too, too bad. You know, we have a municipal rule out saying you have to wear a mask in public spaces and things like that. But I I think overall we haven't been hit by it too hard. Gotcha. Yeah. Michigan's been uh, pretty strict. I think we got like 176 executive orders last I checked uh, something crazy like that. And the surrounding States are at like 30. So it's been a pretty wild time. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is, that's, a, that's pretty intense. Yeah. 176. Wow. Yeah. yeah. How's, how's your, your energy, all that stuff doing during all this stuff? Uh, doing good. You know, uh, one thing that I think COVID and, you know, self-isolating at home has kind of done is just given me the opportunity to sort of refocus on just creative projects, been doing a lot of art, been working on uh, the next iteration of the book. Um, you know, just kind of staying at home and growing and working on personal projects. And it's, it's been really nice for the most part. Good. Good for you. Mine's, mine's been a little bit of the opposite. I'm a pretty empathetic person and, uh, I chat with a lot of people. So, so my inbox is bombarded, you know, 20, 30 times a day with people really struggling. Um, so I got to make a conscious effort to, I got a little uh, camper van while a van I turned into a camper and uh, get out to the woods and uh, enjoy myself and throw my phone for a weekend here and there and just kind of get back plugged in with nature and kind of do my recharge for a weekend and then come back to society and I'm good again for a week. So, Oh yeah. You know, taking time for stuff like that is, you know, that's something that's of paramount importance. Uh, Myself and Brandon, we recently did a a week long camping trip just to kind of get back out into nature and, you know, recenter, and it it does wonders for you. It can really just improve your outlook and help you just get back to you know what you need to do and reintegrate in a really healthy way. Yes, I agree a hundred percent. So yeah, we we kind of jump all over here. I got a little bit of ADD, so at the end we're going to get into your book. But what I really want to get into is you know the steps kind of leading up to what what had you get into that. Uh, and get into some plant medicines and that kind of fun stuff. Uh, wh- where did you grow up? So was it West Virginia? Yeah, so I grew up in a uh, tiny little town <clears throat> about a mile and a half from the West Virginia border called Pocahontas, Virginia. Um, you know, this is a, talking about a town of, at the time, maybe a 1,000 people. Now it's down to like 300. You know, I had a graduating class of 26. Wow. So, yeah, so, you know, when we're talking about small towns, this is – pretty much as small a town as you can possibly get. 
So then uh, you like, uh, just curious, like, you, like parents growing up, were they into any kind of, you know, marijuana, psilocybin, anything like that? Were you around that growing up? No, not really. So, um, my, I was raised by my grandmother, but you know, my mother lived with, uh, she had some mental health issues. So my, uh, my grandmother was my like legal guardian. Mm-hmm. My grandmother's, you know, pretty straight laced individual. She's, you know, she's a Christian. Um, she goes to church every Sunday, wonderful woman, but, uh, yeah, she didn't really mess around with, you know, no drinking, no smoking, no drugs. Um, my mom, uh, on the other hand, you know, back in her early years, um, you know, growing up in the seventies and the eighties, you know, she definitely, um, kind of experimented with, you know, different psychedelics and, you know, harder drugs. And she did like to smoke a little weed every now and then, but for the most part, um, until, you know, I graduated high school and moved to Tennessee for a few months before joining the military. I had never really been exposed to any mind altering substances. Um, and then of course, you know, you join the military and you pick <laughs> up all the, all the horrible drinking habits yeah. that come with that. And you know, it is what it is. Yeah. What, uh, what drew you to the military? Well, uh, I didn't want to be a coal miner and that was pretty much the, the only like, quote, good job you could get in the town that I had grown up in. And I had always, you know, really admired people that I knew uh, from town who had gone on to join the military. Uh, So I made the decision when I was about, I think I just turned 19, um, to join the Air Force. And, you know, I initially went in, I was like, okay, I'm going to be enlisted for, you know, the first four years, and I'm going to try to finish my degree. And become an officer but then it just you know that didn't happen um and uh, i finished out my service as a technical sergeant and you know it was a great time uh did 10 years active and then two years with the reserves and now i'm you know completely out gotcha so in that time you served in uh where where all did you go Uh, my first duty station was good old uh osan and over in the rock and then from there i went to cannon air force base in new mexico uh deployed several times out of there to different parts of africa uh before going up to fort drum new york and doing the asos mission up there for my last couple of years and then from there i deployed to afghanistan twice uh kuwait once and to jordan Gotcha. <clears throat> and then you, you had had some hospital work over there as well for a couple of years. Yes. Um, so, well, not for a couple of years. So my first deployment to Afghanistan and my second deployment, um, I volunteered to work at the hospital there at Bagram both times. And that I think is, you know, the thing that really affected me the most in the military, you know, my time in Africa, you know, it was what it was, it wasn't awful, but, uh, working at the hospital and just, you know, being exposed to the things that, you know, you don't really see day to day. I think, you know, even most military people don't really see you on on their day to day. You know, if you're sitting around the office or you're out fixing a jet, uh, you're not, you know, bandaging up guys that have gut shots and you're not, you know, seeing these, you know, all these different things and seeing that and seeing like the reality of it, 
because I think even as military members, no, only 1% of, of us as a whole are combat troops, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so being exposed to that really just, it made it really real what we were doing. And it, it just stuck with me, you know, once I got out for a while, I mean, even so to, to today, and it definitely has changed a lot of my views, you know, of what we're doing overseas and things like that. Yeah, we I'm really, like I said, I was excited to have you on. We have a, a large listening group uh, of veterans. We have a firearms division, um, and, and we get a lot of support from from that group. And oh, awesome. we've, had, we've had quite a few uh, different views from different vets on here. And, um, you know, guys that went over there that were hardcore this, come back completely different. Um, yeah. And uh, I got a few friends that uh, that I've lost, and then a couple other guys that are going through uh, some pretty serious issues right now. Uh, we got a pretty decent network of um, groups of people that you know will take them out shooting, take them out hunting, take them out okay. to, to do things, and just kind of build a nice community. Um, you know, and and it works out really well. Um, <clears throat> but uh, there's there's a lot of options out there for these guys in, instead of. You know, I, I, I want to kind of get into, you know, what, what you went through with the VA was it, you know, SSRI after SSRI, was it, you know, yeah. what, 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 what did they kind of recommend and what's kind of a standard regimen for that? So what I ended up getting put on for a year before I just, you know, got fed up with it and said, I'm done was Paxil. Um, I don't know if you know a lot about Paxil, uh, but so, you know, SSRI is antidepressant. And one thing that it doesn't do is make you not depressed. It just, for me at least, um, it just made me feel a lot of nothing. I didn't feel better. Mm-hmm. I just didn't feel bad and I just didn't feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the VA, they do great work. But I will say that as far as mental health goes, there is a lot that can be improved. You know, I, I requested talk therapy several times never happened. Um, the only thing that really happened was like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, Paxil. Yeah. And after about uh, a year of this runaround with the VA and, you know, my drinking had gotten worse. You know, I was, I was at the point where, you know, six beers a night was, you know, that was common. You know, it's like, Hey, I get, get out of school. I run by the grocery store. I pick up a six pack of Sam's and you know, that's my night. Right. Um, and eventually I just got tired of it. And I also met my partner, Brandon, who has always, he's was big into psychedelics. Um, really big Terrence McKenna, Paul Stamets guy. Mm. And he suggested, he was like, Hey, you know, showed me this, some research. He's like, there's some exploratory research going on that psilocybin can really help people with depression. And, you know, I took him up on the offer. Um, my first experience with psilocybin was, you know, three and a half grams. So mm-hmm. quite a bit for your first time. Didn't dip the toe very much. You jumped in. No, just jumped right in. <laughs> you know, I, I did, I did a lot of homework. I listened to a lot of Paul. Yeah. I listened to yeah. a lot of Terrence. Yep. Uh, leading up to this. And can then you, I was like, you know, can you yeah. uh, kind of get into uh, who Paul Stamets is? I know I follow him very closely. Uh, who Terrence McKenna is. Uh, I know a lot of the stuff that Paul does 
is on neurogenesis of the brain, yep. the process of your brain creating new pathways instead of inhibiting them like SSRIs do. Uh, just you we got a lot of listeners all over the place. So you can give me a little bit of background on that. That way the new new listeners will be able to kind of understand who these guys are. So they know you're getting good information from good places. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Paul Stamets, um, he's this award-winning, super smart um, mycologist, and he's a big proponent of, you know, the ethical use of psilocybin uh, in various things from either microdosing or researching how to ways to treat depression or anxiety with, you know, patients that are dealing with end of life scenarios. Um, and then of course you, you have Terrence and Terrence McKenna was a, I think he passed away in what the eighties, but anyways, before he passed away, um, really big psychologist who was heavily into a variety of different, uh, psychedelics, whether it was psilocybin LSD, DMT, uh, Terrence was, is the author of Fruit of the Gods, which is a really amazing book that kind of explores uh, his theory about how we co-evolved with psilocybin mushrooms, which is really interesting. He, he had a theory that you know, he thought that our use of psilocybin mushrooms as we evolved may in fact be why we developed you know, intelligence and the way we've developed language and religion and just different interesting things like that. So they're both of these just really huge movers and thinkers and shakers and, within the psychedelic world. Yeah. I'd like to add too on Paul Stamets, not only is he on that realm of things, but I mean, he developed a strain of mushrooms that would suck up all the oil during oil yep. spills. He's developed a strain of mushrooms that'll grow uh, where junkyards used to be. That'll suck yep. up the old fuel and oil I think he bought a house in Oregon or something someplace. They were going to condemn because the termites were so bad and they kept spraying and spraying. He developed a spore, a mushroom that uh, the head of the termites would take back to the, the queen and the whole group would eat as a food source and then their heads would literally explode. So he naturally decontaminated yeah. this whole house. I mean, he's a brilliant mind across the board. So, oh, yeah. Uh, any amazing. listeners that haven't checked him out, check him out for sure. I believe didn't uh, hasn't Paul also treated his wife's cancer with a uh, turkey tail mushroom yes. extract that he absolutely swears by? Yep, yep. And uh, he has a solution for the dying bee population that he has out there yeah. to be able to keep pollinating. I mean, the dude is just a, a brilliant man. Um, so yeah, thank you for that that background on those guys. I did want to kind of get into that. Like I said, I got some guys that have no clue about any of this stuff. So just wanted to get a little more in depth so we can jump back into your, your first uh, jump in the water there. Yeah. So um, like I was saying, uh, my first experience was a large dose. Uh, and, but the way we went about it was pretty specific. So you know, I took the three and a half grams. Brandon was with me the whole time and he kind of guided me through this trip, right? Um, so it wasn't like, I was like, Hey, you know, mushrooms would be fun. Not that yes. they aren't no judgment there. Um, but it was more, I'm going to use this as a spiritual and mental health tool to kind of reset 
myself internally and reset some of these horrible coping mechanisms that I had been developing for, you know, the year, year and a half that I've been out of the military. And it was an incredible experience. I mean, one of the most vivid visions I had, I was laying on the floor in uh, what we call called our melt room. Um, it had some really good ambient music on, and he was just talking me through this experience, asking me just, you know, very light questions, kind of guiding me towards, you know, the drinking habits and the pornography addictions and stuff like that. And uh, I just had this vision in my head while he was guiding me through this of myself, you know, and it's going to sound a little, a little cheesy, but everybody tends to have their own like weird vision and all these things. Um, but I just had a vision of myself as like a wolf running through this, this primordial primeval forest. And it was like, every time I reached a, a block, um, I would just break through it almost if I was breaking through like some really thick brush and uh, it was just you know, it was a magical, really just amazing experience. And when it was over and when it was coming down, I realized that I had processed more in this, you know, two and a half hour window than I had in years. And it was just amazing. And since then, um, I've really been kind of an advocate whenever I talk to, you know, guys I know from my time in the Air Force, that are having their own issues. I'm like, well, why don't you check this out? Here's some research, you know, re here's some papers, read them. Here's some books, read these. And if it think, if you think it's something that could work for you, you know, be smart about it, do your homework. Um, I guess I can't, I should say I'm not advocating for anything illegal, quote unquote, if it's legal where you are, give it a try. Um, but I think it's an amazing tool that we really need to be able to explore um, and the research is really starting to back that up. Oh yeah. They, they shut down a ton of that research. I don't know, probably 10 or so years ago, uh, they stopped funding it. I know in the past five years, uh, all yep. the major universities are back up and running. Um, they're doing tons of testing again, and they're finding out that it's more beneficial with no, ne no negative effects like the oh, SSRIs yeah. do. There's, there's natural repairs to the brain. Yep. And when you, when you talk about the wolf thing and being cheesy, I'm, I got a huge uh, tattoo on my forearm of a wolf that's crying with a hummingbird flying through it and oh, all, kinds of, all kinds of other stuff from, uh, I did a dieta. Um, I had heard about uh, ayahuasca and some other yeah. things and uh, yeah, doing that experience, same thing. It was like, you know, seven days was 40 years of therapy, you know? Exactly. Uh, I, I just came out a completely different person a lot of the things I was holding in and dealing with are, are completely gone. Um, and, and before I did that, I did a lot of research as well. Uh, was that Michael Pollard's book? Uh, yep. that that's a really good one that speaks on set and setting, you know, who you're going to be around, yep. what you're going to be doing. Um, that's another one that, you know, I'd like to put out there for anybody that's, that's listening and just wants to understand more about what's going on. How old was he? Like 67 years old and he'd never done a drug in his life. And then he I went through. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So then he went through and he kind of walks through as a skeptic that thought that this was going to be all hocus pocus, smoke and magic. And he started down that trail and he couldn't believe what he found. And it's, uh, it's written very well. He did a really nice job in that book. And I always think that's what, that's, you know, the people that are the skeptics and when they try these, you know, plant medicines, and they have these pro pro profound experiences. 
they really are the ones who can deliver the best message because, you know, you're talking to somebody who thought it was, you know, bubkis and then they go and they experience um, whether they're going to Mexico and they're with a curanduro and it's a traditional psilocybin ceremony or an ayahuasca ceremony. I mean, they really get to have this profound experience and bring it back and be like, Hey, um, initially I didn't think this was a thing. I thought those were just a bunch of hippie nonsense, but now I know that it is profound and life-changing and inc incredibly impactful. Um, so every time I hear a story about somebody that was skeptical and then they try it and they come back and they have this great message, it's, I think it's really important and really uplifting for, you know, for the cause of decriminalization and increasing research funding and things like that. Yeah, I know Oakland's really changed quite a bit. Um, they can hold ceremonies out there for ayahuasca and do quite a bit of things out there and, uh, Colorado as well. Um, <clears throat> and it's, uh, it's interesting. I was with a skeptical gentleman a few weeks ago and he's like, yeah, none of this works. This doesn't do anything. And then like an hour later, he's like, I see that this is illegal. He's like, why am I trading my time for paper money? And why am I doing mm -hmm. this? And he's just, he's having all these thoughts and, you know, he wasn't even way down the rabbit hole, but his, just the way he was thinking and his mindset. And, you know, he was like, this is, this is insane. It's so amazing. But, um, yeah. Did you ever get into any DMT or do you just, you, you just got into the psilocybin for now? I'm just, I'm into the psilocybin for the most part. Um, I haven't tried DMT. I, I want to, at some point, um, I've talked to a lot of really smart people in the psychedelic community. It's very um, hard work. Yeah, that's what I've heard. It's very hard work. You know, you're talking about something that I guess if you smoke it lasts about 10, 20 minutes, but at the same yeah. time, you're going on this incredible yeah. journey through, you know, galaxies and dimensions and meeting, you know, yeah. God and, beings. And it's yeah. just, sounds like a lot. I, I did a big screw up when I did it. Uh, I had a friend of mine that introduced me to the community I went to and <laughs> he said, you know, here's, here's the email address introduced me to the shaman. They messaged me back. So I'm talking to them by myself and I see this every, every weekend would be these events. And I'm like, well, I don't want to do an event. So they have this thing called uh dieta. So I scheduled it like five months out. Well, I went for 10 days and I think I did it like seven times. Oh wow! You, you completely unplug from everything. Uh, you start out, you do a combo, which is like cleans you out, cleanses you. Um, and you feel super sick for like 30 minutes and then you feel better than you've ever felt in your life. Um, wow. and then I did, and I got back, I, I told my buddy the whole experience, which I, I kept a journal every day, um, on each experience and things like that. But I told him when I got back, he was like, man, I'm not for you to go for like the two day thing. He's like, <laughs> he's like, you, you went all in, yeah. man. And I was like, yeah, I did. <laughs> And it was funny because I have some friends that, you know, they're more recreational users and things like that. And they're like, Oh, it was probably awesome. I was like, I cried for a week straight. It was the hardest work I ever did. I got out so much emotional baggage and just came back. Like I, I could breathe for the first time in my yep. life, you know? So yeah, absolutely. that's, that's, uh, that's pretty much how I felt after my first psilocybin experience. And, you know, every subsequent one after there, it's been, you know, it's just always been a profound experience where you get to kind of like reset and recenter and just breathe yes. for the first time in a while. Yes. And get out, get out and enjoy the nature, man. That's, that's my favorite thing. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So, so current schedule, like, um, 
you know, I do, you know, some microdosing where, you know, I get these little half gram pills and I take those things, mm-hmm. you know, a couple days. On. What kind of schedule do you run for that? So for me, I prefer a uh, one on two off schedule. Uh, I, I think that's given me the, the best results. And also, you know, with psilocybin, you have to be pretty careful about building up tolerance. Of course, when we're talking about microdoses, your likeliness of building up a tolerance quickly is pretty low because we're talking about, you know, 0.3 grams or less. But at the same time, I prefer to err on the side of caution with that. So I do the, you know, one on, two off. So I'll usually microdose um, on a Sunday and then I'll take Monday and Tuesday off. I won't do anything. And then I'll microdose again on a Wednesday and then I'll take Thursday, Friday and Saturday off. So I guess it's more like one on two off, one on three off, but that kind of pattern. And I really think that that is something that one, you know, is easy to do. And also just kind of guarantees that you're not going to have to worry about building up a tolerance to this amazing, you know, I like to call them fungal allies. Uh, so you, you really get the full impact of it every time you microdose. And then another thing I like to do is, Every two weeks, I'll take an entire week off from microdosing. And then on the following um, Sunday, I'll have anywhere from one and a half grams to two grams. And that's kind of my, I like to call it just my big dose day. And I'll do some art, I'll write, I'll meditate, I'll do some yoga. It just gives me a nice way to like reset and prepare for, you know, whatever I've got to do for the next couple of weeks after that. Very cool. Yeah. I'm seeing more and more right now, uh, especially in this climate, you know, people have lost their jobs or losing their health care, They're losing the ability to obtain their SSRIs. And, yep. you know, there, there's, there's a lot of people that are making the switch that have been on these things since 1996 and have been on, you know, 10, 12 of these different pills. And, you know, they're like, Oh my gosh, I can't afford $1,200 a month. What am I going to exactly. do? And, um, they're, they're making them, you know, great progress and feeling better than they ever have in their lives. So, um, it's, it's really exciting. And, and like I said, you've seen a lot of these universities find a lot of good information from these studies and, um, no negative side effects. So that's, that's huge. Oh yeah. I mean, like look at, you know, if you, for example, Charles Grob over at UCLA, who's doing some really just amazing work, um, with, you know, end of life anxiety and depression for, people with, you know, advanced terminal cancer and they're showing, you know, people having reduced anxiety and significantly reduced depression for six months sometimes after just a single controlled dose. And I think that's just, you know, that's incredible. You can have, if you could go to a clinic or, you know, preferably not even have to go to a clinic, but let's say that, you know, it becomes, you know, like a prescription drug. You go to the clinic, you have this guided experience with your psychologist, psychiatrist, and then for six months, you know, you get to experience relief from your anxiety, your depression, or maybe your addictions. And then you just, once every six months, you just go and that's your maintenance schedule. You're not taking PAX or some other SSRI every day. You're not taking you know, anti-anxiety medications every single day. You're not paying all this money. You know, I really think that that is kind of going to be the future of how we manage anxiety and depression is through these 
amazingly powerful you know, psychedelic drugs. I agree. And, and I've seen a lot of people even uh, that were on the Adderall that, that were personal friends of mine. And I kind of watched them become like how, how you described yourself during the Paxil, you know, it's, it's, it's like a kind of zombie almost, yeah. you know, there's no, no emotional connection with their friends, with their children. They're just there and they're just focused on everything and they're just working. And I'm like, yep. you know, this thing is like the cousin of meth. It's, it's not a good thing, you know? And I've, I've heard a lot of horror stories about people quitting taking it once they understand what that really is. And once somebody points out, you know, they're, they're not emotionally connected to anything anymore. They're just hyper-focused on whatever's happening. And oh, yeah. uh, I, I've heard of a lot of people doing the same thing, kind of microdosing. So it's not so terrible, you know, when they stop taking that and kind of get back into things and, and just reconnecting, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, I think we, as a society, you know, um, Americans in particular, we've, we've kind of become a little too prescription drug, um, you know, happy, a little too relaxed with them. We prescribe them for everything. You know, we were giving five-year-olds Adderall. I mean, it's insane. You know, a five-year-old can't sit down in class and focus for four hours or five hours because they're a five-year-old. That's just natural. But what do we do? We give them some drugs. Uh, somebody has instant fix. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's something we kind of have to step away from, I think. And of course, you know, as always, I should be like, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not any sort of medical professional. This is just my personal opinion. Um, but uh, you know, like an interesting anecdotal story, uh, I have an aunt who has really just bad depression. She's been through a lot of trauma, um, some sexual trauma in the last couple of years. And she was on several different SSRIs um, until recently when her daughter, um, my cousin, introduced her to microdosing. And she started microdosing and she was slowly able to wean herself off of her prescription drugs for an anxiety and depression. And now she's living a much healthier life. Um, so, you know, I think we should really take a step back and look at how we treat prescription drugs. Cause a lot of them are significantly more dangerous than we, than how we treat them. I agree. And then, and again, like I said, with the instant fixes, you know, it's, it's like putting the blinders on a horse, you know, they take that pill and they, they still have all the shit that's causing the anxiety, the shit yep. that's causing, you know, them, the stress, the, the shit's still bagged up, <clears throat> but they're putting those blinders on taking that. Well, deep down, that stuff's all still there. Nothing, exactly. got fi- nothing got fixed, right? Nothing got repaired. You're still doing the same thing. You're still doing the yep. same daily activities and the shit's still in there. I mean, doing, doing something like, you know, the psilocybin or something to get out the emotional stuff, to get that baggage out of there and be able to move forward, I think is one of the key pieces of that. And sometimes it's hard work, man. It's really hard work. Oh, absolutely. A lot of people go through it. And like I said, my friends that are psychedelic guys are like, Oh, that was probably awesome. I was like, it was the hardest work I've ever done. And I work my, and I work my ass off. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, especially for veterans, you know, a lot of us, we carry this, we carry our, our baggage around and we don't, we don't let it out. We don't share it with anyone. We don't talk to, you know, spouses, partners, whatever. Um, and we need to, and I think psilocybin or other drugs like MDMA, for example, another powerful tool, um, that you can be used during therapy, 
to, you know, allow someone to open up to their therapist and really talk about a lot of trauma in a way that's, you know, they're not going to be triggered because they are on this powerful anxiolytic, you know, infinogen. Um, and I, I, I would love for the legislation and everything to change so that more people can start to experience that, you know, in healthy, safe ways, especially, you know, veterans, survivors of trauma, survivor of, you know, spousal abuse, childhood abuse. I mean, there's just all these things that we carry around with us that don't get talked about and that just destroys people. And I hate saying it. Yeah. And and especially in in men, you have a, you're a man, you have to be strong. You have to hold this. There's that image that society casts upon you that, well, you you don't want to be a pussy and have to say something, or you don't want to talk to somebody or exactly. and, 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 And there's a ton of pressure on, you know, a lot of men being the head of the household, doing this, doing that. And they, they don't want to be seen as that. And especially guys that have been in the military. I mean, yeah. there's, there's a whole nother level of complex of, of masculinity that, you know, is, is something that I think a lot of guys, they don't want to step up and say, I need the help, you know? And, and it's, it's crazy because the communities that I'm in, they're like, Hey guys, we're here anytime, yep. all the time, whatever you need. Um, there's, there's getting a lot more support groups and a lot more awareness. And and I really hope that, you know, the families and other people are, you know, supporting these people because it's, it's hard as a man to come out and say, I need to talk to them. I need help. Like just how society views things. And, uh, so hopefully that's getting easier and easier for those military folks to be able to do that because it's a, it's a huge problem. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I hope that, you know, as we move forward, you know, as a whole, we just become a little more comfortable with, with male psychiatric and emotional problems, because, you know, like you were saying, we're just not, you know, whether it's men not being willing to talk about themselves, or even I've noticed, you know, I've had friends that have tried to talk to, you know, myself before my experiences or with other friends and even though they're willing to open up, sometimes another, you know, male friend is not really willing to listen because we don't know how to handle that because we've always been taught that we don't do emotion. It's awkward, and, right? <laughs> yeah, right. It's awkward. And, and we're and we're supposed to just expect that being awkward about it is the norm. And that's just it's destroying us. I mean, yep. you know, oh, I, I love having a, a community of friends that. You know, anybody has anything, you know, they call, they email, they jumping right on the phone with them and being able to have those conversations. And I'm a weird dude. So I'm like, Hey man, let's get weird. Whatever you got to talk about, I'll talk about. And it stays right here. And, you know, have a lot lot of conversations. Like I said, though, you got to make sure you're charging your batteries. If you're that person for a lot of people as well, Exactly, it it definitely wears on you, especially in this weird time where everything's weird. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We are definitely, we're definitely living in the, the age of weirdness. Uh, you know, whether it's COVID or, you know, all the, you know, division across the country right now, or even just other stuff like, you know, climate change, she knows what's going on with that or, or hurricanes plus COVID plus flu season, plus, you know, (laughs) economic issues. It's just, yeah, it's an insane time. And I think, yeah, I think it's important for us to spread a message to be like, Hey, you know, reach out if you need help, you know, don't, don't hold on to that. Talking to a friend that every, every mental hospital out in California is completely at full capacity. right now. 
Um, and that's, that's never happened before. Suicide rates are up like crazy. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a good time. So yeah, hopefully, uh, people are getting better at communicating and getting the help that they need. So just a matter of being able to have those resources available too at some point. Absolutely. So I got your book as a birthday gift, actually. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Yeah. 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 I got a couple friends of mine. They're super good friends. Um, that, uh, Last time they were in town, we did laying down, watching the stars, laughing all night, having a great time. And uh, they actually moved from Michigan out to California. Um, so I got the the mail one day, and your your book was in the mail. And uh, it was definitely right up my alley. And I was super excited about it. And uh, I got into it. And you know, the first thing, you know, you read about is uh, Paul Stamets and uh, the concentrate there. And I was like, well, that's right up my alley. That sounds fantastic. Yep. Uh, the artwork in the book is fantastic. Um, and the categorizations are amazing. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about your book? And I know you said you got a reiteration that's coming out. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to talk about it for a second. So of course, you know, the book that we we are discussing is uh, cooking with magic, the psilocybin cookbook. Uh, and it is pretty much what it says. It is a cookbook all about um, psilocybin and how to integrate it into your life in a way that's designed to be really spiritual and holistic and, you know, very, we like to say health forward. Um, and of course we, we cover some other stuff in the book, but because it's a cookbook and because we had a certain page count that we had to meet, um, you know, the science and the history sections are a little briefer than I would have liked. Uh, but yeah, amazing book. I think people should check it out. Uh, I really think people, you know, just love the recipes. Um, you know, there's just a ton of really cool stuff in there. We talk about microdosing. We talk about, uh, the history of magic mushrooms going from the Neolithic era up to, you know, the 1950s. Um, and that's pretty much where we end all the history was the 1950s. Uh, we talk a little bit about current research that's going on. Uh, we've got some references in there for other books that go much more in depth that I highly recommend to everybody. Um, such as Acid Tests by Tom Schroeder, Psychology of the Future by Stan Groff. Of course, all of Paul Stamets' work, always recommend. Um, and we also have a lot of just really good resources in the back of the book for just different um, organizations, places to get information, whether it's MAPS or PubChem or you know places like that. And there's a lot, a lot of art. Um, I'd like to talk about my artist for a moment. I think she deserves a lot of, you know, attention because if it weren't for her, the book wouldn't look nearly as cool. It'd just be a bunch of text on some pages. Um, uh, I got so I got so many comments just uh, from friends. I, I posted a picture, just a screenshot of the front of the book, and uh, I got a bunch of texts from different friends. Are like, what's the inside of that book like? I said, look like. I said, you have to check it out. I'm like, the art's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. We did a lot of like really cool stuff. So the artist, her name is uh snowflake Verostek. She's based out of Alabama. She's a really cool psychedelic artist. Um, check her out on Facebook, just, you know, at snowflake Verostek. Uh, but yeah, she did all of our art. She did, uh, we did everything based off of an Alice in Wonderland theme for the book. Um, as you can tell, you know, if you look at the front cop front and back, it's just very psychedelic, lots of colors, um, just a lot of cool art. Uh, as far as the re like the new version of the book, 
basically what we're doing is now that I have full rights to the book, I'm no, and I'm self-publishing. I'm no longer with a publishing company. I was going to say, did you do like, how, how did you raise the funds for that? Did you do like some kickstart programs or? Yeah. Uh, we did an Indiegogo. Um, so we raised, gosh, we had like 187 donations. We raised over $4,000, um, to finance the production of the book. Um, and at the time I was working with a lo- local, uh, publisher here in Knoxville. Um, unfortunately that publishing deal fell apart because of the publisher not fulfilling some shipments and things like that. But now that I'm self-publishing, um, basically what I'm doing is I'm just going back with, with snow and we're going to be doing a bigger, better hardcover version of the book. Um, there'll be about, uh, 10 new recipes, 10 new art pieces in it. Uh, we're going to expand all the chapters of the research and the history and, you know, the science of microdosing. And we're basically what we're going to go from go to was, you know, we're going from a 115 page book to hopefully something that's going to be more around the 200 page mark. You're going to get a little bit more bang for your buck. If you, you know, are interested in the new version of the book and we want to do that because I really feel like the recipes are great, but typically, you know, when people buy books like this, they're looking for good information. And that's what I really want to provide people is really good, well-researched information where they have a resource that they can pick up. And not only that's not just, you know, cool to look at and has some really cool recipes, which by the way, you know, if you have a favorite, let me know which one it was. Um, but, you know, I want to provide the best source of information I can. Um, and of course, once again, I have to say that I'm just doing research here. I am not a medical professional. I'm not a psychiatrist, any of that. Um, I'm just, you know, a person that wants to spread a message about a really awesome, powerful fungal ally um, of humanity. It's beautiful. And like you said, the, the introduction's fantastic. It, it gets you into uh, one story I always thought was super interesting was the vice president of J.P. Morgan. I think it was his, yeah. his, his wife was, wasn't she Russian or something? And had heard about these magic mushrooms and, and wanted yeah. to go to go find these. And they, they searched the world over. And, uh, and it's just a super interesting story. You got it all documented in there. Um, Mira Sabina. Yeah. Uh, very, very interesting story. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's great. Stuff. Yeah. Um, Maria Sabina's story, you know, it's, it's a really amazing story. And I, I really think she needs to get more attention within the psychedelic community because if it weren't for her, um, you know, allowing Wesson to come into her community, um, I guess I should start with. So Maria Sabina was a Mexican curanduro, which is a traditional, uh, shamanistic medicine woman. And she allowed him to come into her community and participate in a Veladas, which is a, you know, Mesoamerican psilocybin ceremony. And he had a profound experience, which he went out and he shared with the world. But unfortunately, that meant the world was now coming to this little small town in Mexico to this, you know, woman who wasn't really prepared for it. And it ended up kind of destroying her life. 
you know, it gave us, you know, Western magic mushroom practices, you know, in the 20th century, but at the same time, it, it kind of ruined, you know, Maria's life, unfortunately. Uh, I wish she would get some more attention. I've, I've, I've heard uh, different stories of, you know, different threats and things like that, that they root that they're, cause he was on like life, like audio and talking about yeah. it publicly. So it created a stampede of, you know, Westerners who want to go down there and experience these things. And I thought that she like died in prison or something like that because everybody hated her in the whole town after that. Um, I don't, I don't think she died in prison. She, she, she was prosecuted. Um, and she was, you know, I believe she was kicked out of her community. Um, but I mean, it's just, unfortunately it's a really just awful story, but I guess, you know, the silver lining of course is, yeah. you know, Western society was exposed to psilocybin and hopefully, you know, that's something that will continue to, you know, become part of Western, you know, medicine and ritualistic practices. And, you know, it's something that we can integrate in our lives because I really think it'll better humanity. I agree. And uh, it was, it's kind of funny. One of my cousins had read that story and then looked at the picture and it looks like my, my great grandmother. So they were like, I'm in, I'm going to try, I'm going to try it now. (laughs) They trusted it. (laughs) Well, good, good. Yeah. So, um, one thing I always ask people to do, I know I'd only, I told you I'd only keep it for about an hour, so I'll stick to that. Um, I let everybody kind of give a shout out to a nonprofit of their choice. Um, and then when I post this, I'll post a link to that. That way people can look them up and uh, donate if they wish. Uh, so what's your nonprofit of choice and give a little background on them and, uh, shout out their website if you'd like to, and then I'll post it when we post this. So uh, I'm going to have to give my shout out to Decriminalize Nature. Um, Decriminalize Nature is a nonprofit, uh, I guess you would say like drug policy reform political organization. And basically what they do is they help write legislation and lobby for legislation to have, you know, psilocybin and other plant medicines rescheduled, legalized, or just decriminalized, you know, uh, they've been bought there. They helped write their legislation for Denver, for Portland, for Oakland. I mean, decriminalized nature has branches. I believe they have one in Ann Arbor now. I think one recently popped up in Nashville. So this is a really cool organization that is doing a lot of really important work and, um, they need to get a lot more attention and hopefully get some more donations, get more volunteers. Uh, so yeah, decriminalize nature, check it out. They're amazing. Um, fantastic people. Wonderful. Then do you have any timeline on when your hardcover, uh, second issue will be out? Um, so where the goal is to get it ready to go to print, uh, before Christmas. So that's the goal. Uh, we've got a really amazing book marketing company that's working with us to kind of revamp our social media and all that kind of stuff. Cause I'm, I'm not very good at social media. I'll admit. Um, so, you know, sometimes oh. that's a good thing to not be good at because we spend way too much time on it. Oh yeah, people, absolutely. Like, um, yeah. I tell people all the time, like if I didn't have it for business and stuff. I said a lot of times I would probably just unplug for a while. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I, I used to be on Twitter a lot and it's just, kind of turned into it just seems like a lot of mud throwing yes. on there and on facebook and uh so i don't really do it um 
But unfortunately, that's really the only effective way to spread word about the book, other than apparently by word of mouth, since you got a copy from some friends. Yep. Um, so we're engaging with you know a marketing company who's going to help hopefully help us launch the new version uh, by the holidays. Well, beautiful, and I hope I hope you're open to jumping back on. I might have some other uh, guests on that would be a good fit to have a conversation to join both of us and uh, be able to uh, go further down the rabbit hole. And, Absolutely, uh, awesome, man! Um, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. I know you're a busy man, and uh, yeah, I'll get this bad boy out for the world to listen to and I'll, I'll keep in touch. I really appreciate your time, man. Awesome, man. Uh, just thank you very much for inviting me to come on. And yeah, I look forward to talking with you again in the future. All right, man. Have a good night. You too. Next level, next level, next level shit, next level shit, next level, next level, next level shit, next level shit. Next Level Shit is brought to you by Next Level Armament. We hope you enjoyed the show. And please tell your friends, give us a review, and subscribe to iTunes, Spotify, Ringer, Dinger, you know, where you're listening to the show. Thanks for being with us today. Look for us uh, every couple of weeks. Peace out. Next Level Shit. Next level shit